Great. Thanks, BC Rod, for reading for us. If you'd like to keep a uh, finger in that passage, that would be a great help to me. We're going to be looking at it over the next uh, few minutes. Uh, Let's pray, shall we? Uh, Nicodemus said to Jesus, uh, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. And if there was ever a day where we need a teacher from God, it's Trinity Sunday. Uh, So, Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, come, you would open our uh, ears and our eyes to the wonders in your word, uh, teach us things that are unseen, uh, and uh, help us to be born again. Amen. Uh, well, Alan's alluded to it. Uh, of all the areas of Christian belief, I think the Trinity is probably the one that people have the most difficulty with. Uh, we've uh, had reference to the Athanasian Creed. This is something from it, which will give you a flavour of what I mean. Uh, it says, The Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. What chance have we got? <laughs> The danger is that when something is hard to understand, uh, we tend to ignore it. Uh, I'm hopeless with figures. Uh, I find uh, filling out my tax return very, very hard to do. Uh, So I ignore it and ignore it until my wife gives me a dig in the ribs. Uh, And then what I do is I send it to my father-in-law to uh, complete. He's a professional. He's an accountant. He knows about these things. It's for him to worry about. Uh, And the danger is that this morning, that's kind of what we do with the Trinity, we say, well, well, I don't need to worry my little head about it. I'll, I'll leave it to the professionals. Alan and Will and a few other people can, uh, can worry about it. It doesn't really affect us. And yet, actually, the Trinity is anything but irrelevant. One uh, distinguished theologian has said this. It is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Another one uh, said this. Uh, the Trinity is what makes the Christian understanding of God Christian. Is anything but irrelevant. At every step, the Bible affirms the truths that we have just proclaimed. We have a God who is three persons, one substance, who is at work in the world and in our lives. And nowhere do we see that more clearly than in God's plan of salvation. It is famous passage Sunday at Holy Trinity. This is one of the best-known passages in the New Testament. Uh, we see a distinguished visitor coming to visit Jesus. And in reply, Jesus shows us how every person of the Trinity is involved in somebody being born again, in becoming a Christian. Well, let's dive in. And uh, the first thing I want to draw out is that uh, Jesus tells us that new birth is imparted by the Holy Spirit. New birth is imparted by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we'd read from the start of John's Gospel, we'd have seen that so far Jesus has mostly been occupied uh, with pretty ordinary people. Uh, Nicodemus is very, very different. Uh, John tells us he was a Pharisee, uh, verse 1. He was a member of one of the strict Jewish groups who committed themselves to following the law in every uh, single aspect and to separating themselves from uh, the rest of the people. Uh, More than that, uh, we're told he was a member of the Jewish ruling council, uh, the Sanhedrin. Uh, It's effectively the Jewish Supreme Court. Uh, They had jurisdiction over every single Jew in the world. Uh, He is somebody who has uh, a position. He is a member of the religious elite, probably also very wealthy. Uh, The only other reference we have really to Nicodemus is at the end of John's Gospel where he brings uh, Jesus uh, uh, some, uh, some expensive spices that nobody normally could have afforded. He's clearly somebody who is very, very wealthy. 
he was somebody who we would not expect Jesus to, uh, to uh, be meeting. And yet John tells us that in Jesus, he had seen something that all of his piety, all of his status, all of his wealth uh, couldn't match. Uh, he saw that Jesus, verse 2, was a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. What Jesus said in reply must have completely taken him by surprise. Verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Uh, What matters to God is not religion. It's not power. It's not even riches. It's not even miracles. What matters, says Jesus, is that a person is born again. For unless someone is born again, it is impossible to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus would have known all about the kingdom of God as a good Jew, especially as a, a religious, a sort of a, a, a professional uh, cleric. Uh, every Jew was waiting for the day when the kingdom of God would be revealed. They would finally experience the full life that God had promised to bring when his promised king came. And Jesus says here that that day's arrived. The day that they've been looking forward to is here. Jesus is that king and the kingdom has arrived. Well, Nicodemus probably thought, well, if anyone should get a share in the kingdom of God, it's me. I'm a professional after all. I'm a devout Jew. Uh, I study the law. I've, uh, I, I hold to it as far as I can. And yet Jesus says that before anyone can have a share of the kingdom of God, they must be born again of water and the spirit. Something has to change dramatically in a person's heart. Being born again is a bit of a cliche, isn't it? So particularly in the States, people sort of talk about born-again Christians as if they're sort of some kind of, that's the sort of nutty fringe of the Christian church. It's not really anything to do with that at all. It's not a cliche at all. Uh, all it simply means uh, is that we've been given a fresh start. Uh, we have been cleansed from uh, sin and given new hearts uh, to serve God as we should do. Uh, and Jesus says that from start to finish, to be born again is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We can't buy it. We can't earn it. Only by God's Holy Spirit at work inside us can we be cleansed from sin and have our hearts renewed. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Uh, It's just what the Old Testament prophets had foretold. They looked forward to a day when one day God would give his people new hearts uh, to replace their old hearts of stone. that They might share in the life of the kingdom. It's talking about the same thing. It's talking about new birth that is imparted by the Holy Spirit. Whoever we are this morning, nothing is more important than being born again. Uh, There's a story told from many, many years ago of uh, the former chaplain general to the forces, Bishop Taylor Smith, uh, who was preaching on this passage in Salisbury Cathedral in front of a packed congregation. And astonishingly, in the middle of his sermon, uh, he said uh, that uh, even a bishop needed to be born again. Uh, It wasn't enough to be somebody of high religious ranking, to be a a dutiful churchgoer. You had to be born again. Well, he went home, thought nothing of it. Uh, Two days later, he received a letter from the archdeacon who was sat next to the bishop. 
Uh, My dear bishop, he said, you found me out. I'd been ordained 30 years until Sunday afternoon I'd never been born again. It's a true story. Uh, So many people, sadly, today are like Nicodemus and that archdeacon. Uh, They think that they're basically okay because they're they're essentially good. They haven't done anything really, really bad. They're all right. Uh, And one day, if if enough kind of credit ends up on the right side of the ledger, they'll, they'll be all right, so they think. But the Bible tells us that unless the Holy Spirit has imparted new birth into our hearts, we will never be okay. Uh, the Nicene Creed, one of the other um, creeds that the church uses, describes the Holy Spirit as the Lord, the giver of life. He gives life to the people of God. Uh, and that life must be ours. We must have new birth imparted by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see from this passage that new birth is secured by the Son. New birth is secured uh, by the Son. We're told uh, that uh, Nicodemus is uh, Israel's teacher, verses uh, 9 and 10. Uh, But even though he's clearly uh, a uh, wise teacher, he doesn't really understand what Jesus is saying. Uh, It's a bit sad, isn't it, really? This professional clergyman, his life is devoted to studying God's word, and yet he still doesn't understand it. Why? He needs uh, Jesus' teaching. Uh, And Jesus' answer to Nicodemus is to show him how uh, this work of the Son makes possible that work of the Spirit in a person's life. Uh, The best teachers are always those uh, who speak from experience. It's very hard to to teach if you have no experience of something. You say, don't you, You those who uh, can't teach. That's a a bad thing to say because you need to have some experience of it. It's clear from this passage that Jesus is somebody who is uniquely qualified uh, to be our teacher. Verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. Uh, Jesus has unique revelation to give. He speaks of what he knows. Uh, Why does he know it? Well, verse 13, he has gone into heaven, it says. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus enjoys knowledge of God that nobody else has. If anyone can teach us about him, uh, it is this man, Jesus. Unfortunately, then as now, Jesus says many who hear his words refuse to believe them. They reject them. And yet for those who will listen and who will learn, Jesus has something unique to share. What does he share with uh, Nicodemus and with us? Uh, Well, he shares something about himself. Uh, He says that the new birth can only occur because of the work of the Son. Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Uh, Jesus is referencing a rather unusual episode in the life of the people of God back in the Old Testament. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 21. Uh, After they they escaped from Egypt, uh, were brought uh, brought out of Egypt by God, uh, the Jews were journeying through the desert. And as so often happened, they started to grumble and complain against God and his leader Moses. They were regretting that they'd ever left uh, the land of Egypt. They'd forgotten all that God had done for them and were grumbling away. And in punishment, God sent a plague of deadly snakes uh, to them. 
Uh, of course, they bit them and several people died. And in turn, the people turned back to God, repented, and they cried out to him uh, for mercy. And God told Moses uh, to make a snake from bronze and to lift it high up in the middle of the camp. And he said that whoever looked at it uh, would be healed. Well, architects, when they're building a building, uh, often make what is called a mock-up, which is a kind of scale model of the the final product. Uh, And in a sense, that story of the uh, episode from the life of God's people is a bit like a mock-up of what Jesus says will happen uh, on the cross. Uh, Just as when the snake was raised up and all who looked at it were healed, uh, so as Jesus was lifted up on the cross... All who turn in faith to him can be healed from the poison of sin and be born again. The new birth is secured by Jesus the Son because he died in our place. He has dealt with sin. He's made it possible for us to be born again into a new life. There are many, many stories that have been told down the years to try and help us to grasp something of the wonder of what Jesus did in securing the new birth. One of my uh, favourites, one of the ones that moves me the most, is one that's told on the Alpha story. Uh, It's the story of Father uh, Max Kolbe. Uh, Max Kolbe was an inmate uh, in Auschwitz during the Second World War. And uh, he was uh, in Auschwitz, and whilst he was in Auschwitz, somebody escaped uh, from the concentration camp. Uh, And in retribution, uh, the Nazis decreed that ten men should be picked to die. They'd be walled up in an uh, underground bunker and just left to, uh, to starve uh, to death. Uh, Colby wasn't one of the men picked. Uh, one of the men who was picked was a man who had a wife and family. Uh, he begged the guards to let him go. He had a wife and kids. Uh, what would they do without him? Uh, Father Max Colby stepped forward and offered to go in the place of this man. He said, I'm a Catholic priest. I've got no relatives, no descendants, nothing to worry about. I will take the place of this man. He did. He was uh, walled up and uh, he died uh, in Auschwitz. Uh, because Father Colbe took the place of that man, that man was free to live and he did live. He survived the war uh, and uh, his descendants are still living. Because the Lord Jesus died the death that we deserved to die, we can be born again and live. The death of the Son secures the new birth. Unfortunately, as Jesus promised, there are many today, and there have been down the ages, who can't accept uh, what he says. They can't accept the offer uh, that he makes. I I guess it's an affront, isn't it, to our pride to be told that actually we're not okay. Each one of us is a horrible mess, and we're in need of a fresh start. In fact, it's even more of an affront to our pride uh, to be told that we can't do anything about it, but actually we have to trust in uh, the death of Jesus on the cross. Uh, Freddie Iyer, the former philosopher at Oxford, once described the cross, the Christian gospel, as intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. Might not use his words, but I guess there's many who would agree uh, with those sentiments. And yet it's only because the Son of God, the Lord Jesus died on our behalf on that bloody cross all those years ago, that it's possible for us to enjoy eternal life. New birth is secured by the work of the Son. Well, finally, let's uh, finish off. Uh, Jesus tells us, thirdly, that new birth 
is the gift of the Father. New birth is the gift of the Father. Uh, Probably there is no other verse in the Bible that is quite as famous as John 3, uh, verse 16. Uh, Let's uh, read it, shall we? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, if you're in the States, uh, quite often you see it uh, on, uh, on kind of bumper stickers, on cars, or held up at, on placards at sports events. Uh, in, the, in the UK, you quite often see it at railway stations. I was in London just a few weeks ago, and I saw it on a poster at, uh, at, at a railway station. Uh, somebody has described it as everybody's text. It's a text for everybody. Uh, millions of people through the ages across the world have had their lives transformed by hearing it. Uh, it's rightly famous. Nowhere is the message of the Bible better summarised, I think, than in that verse. Behind the new birth is a loving father, a father who graciously offers his rebellious world a second chance. Uh, And when we break it down, we can start to see the wonder of what that really, really means. Let's do that, shall we? Let's take it step by step. For God so loved. By itself, that is astonishing. It's an amazing thing for the Bible to say. Uh, Nobody in the ancient world would have described a God as loving. They were all pretty nasty and vindictive and petty. They never did anything for anyone. They were not loving. Uh, Even today, uh, few, if any, religion would describe God as loving. I don't think Islam would be able to say that. certainly couldn't call God as father in the same way that Christians can. Uh, Even people who have no faith today struggle to call God uh, loving. They sort of think he's some kind of vicious tyrant who's out to get everybody. How far those pictures are from the real thing. The Bible says God is a God who always acts out of love. He didn't have to welcome us back as his people. He did it because he loved us. Who does God love? It goes on. For God so loved the world. The world. There's no exceptions. Uh, There's nobody who is outside the scope of God's love. There's nobody who is too messed up, too damaged, too broken, too unlovely, too ugly, too poor, too uh, neglected. As Augustine, the great church theologian, said, God loves each of us as if there was only one of us to love. God so loved the world. We know love because it's demonstrated by the sacrifice that it demands. You can always tell how much somebody loves someone by what they're prepared to give up. How can we know that the Father really loves us? Well, if it's just fine words. Uh, John goes on. We know because the Father gave. He gave his one and only Son. He sent his treasured Son, the Lord Jesus, to earth to die for our sin. What it cost, we can only begin to uh, guess, I suppose. We get some hints from Scripture Uh, All the way back in Genesis, chapter 22, uh, we're told the story of how God told Abraham to uh, give up his one and only son, Isaac. And we get a hint from the story of how much it must have cost Abraham, the son that he'd loved, the son that he'd longed for for so many years. It is, I guess, another mock-up, actually, of the the cross. Uh, On Good Friday, the Gospels record that as Jesus died, uh, there was darkness that fell across the whole land. Perhaps there's many reasons for why that might have happened. Uh, But it seems to me that it's symbolic, isn't it, of the father turning his face away as the son bore away the sin of the world. John writes uh, elsewhere in his epistles, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ 
laid down his life for us. Uh, We know what love is because the Father gave his only Son. What did the Father's love achieve? It's not just uh, warm feelings, it's not just good intentions, it's not even a good example. It achieved something. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Father's love is an unconquerable force that achieves everything that it ever intended to. Because of the Father's love, everyone who turns to Christ in trusting faith, believing that he died for them, can know the sure promise of eternal life. They can be born again into the kingdom of God. Uh, The poet Robert Browning wrote many, many years ago, Without love, our earth is but a tomb. Without the love of the Father, there would be no hope. No hope for any of us. Because of the Father's love, you and I can be born again to eternal life, to enjoy life in relationship with God, just as it was always intended to be. Because new birth is the gift of our loving Heavenly Father. Well, after this chapter, we don't really hear of Nicodemus again, as I said, until right at the end of uh, the John's Gospel. Uh, he comes to help bury the Lord Jesus, John chapter 19. Clearly, this encounter with Jesus had left him transformed. He had grasped hold of the love of the Father that was accomplished by the work of the Son and was applied to his heart by the Holy Spirit. He had been born again. And that experience that Nicodemus experienced all those years ago is an experience that millions through history have shared. Many of us today could uh, say the same. And we can share it if we haven't yet shared it uh, today. Nothing could be more important. Uh, This morning, let me encourage you, if you're not sure, make sure you are born again. Come and speak to somebody. We would love to talk to you about it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen.